I'm confused. You said it was near a window. Oh, that's here. <laughs> what? Now it's closed. Now it's open. Now it's closed. Now it's open. Did you think it was a real window? So you could leave, etc. Hello, club members, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Nightlight Horror Movie Club. I'm Kate, and I am very allergic to mints, but I don't stop eating mints. I just, I just ate a, so I've never had a Mentos before and Nick had some Mentos and I should have deduced from the name that they were very minty. And I was like, maybe I can get away with it. Maybe I can (laughs) trick my allergy and I can just chew it real fast and then spit it out. (laughs) There's no epithet. There's no allergen for, for Mentos. It's just for peppermint. It, it didn't work. And now I have a very bad stomach ache and I have no one to blame but myself. Is that why you look like yeah, that? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's no fun when I insult you and <laughs> you just take it like Sorry, that. I'm just not feeling great from the Mentos. Well, that's Kate, and I'm Emma, and I just rescued my laptop from the brink of death after I sp- spilled my LaCroix all over it. Well, here we are. It's still missing about, <laughs> yeah, it's still missing about six screws. <laughs> and so. here we are. Um, we're very excited about this episode. We're actually finally doing a Shyamalan film, which I cannot believe we haven't done before. Um, and I'm a huge Shyamalan fan. Well, I feel like we were all huge Shyamalan fans. Yeah, yeah, weren't we all? Um, but this episode we're talking about Split, um, and Emma's going to take care of no, and Emma's going to answer a lot of the medical questions that we all have, like, is this real? Can my fingers grow eight inches? Can I- I'll tell you. The answer to that is yes. <laughs> yes. The answer <laughs> is steroids. <laughs> and I'm just going to be talking about all sorts of crazy things. So They do actually have a disease where one of the ways you can tell if you have this disease um, is if your ring is no longer fitting on your finger. Because your finger's getting bigger. Is the disease obesity? <laughs> it's a pandemic. Game. But it's. <laughs> no. It's the COVID quarantine 15. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> this is all, yeah, this is all the, the health info you never asked for. And um, <laughs> only barely accurate. Only, only barely accurate. I am going to go through uh, the fact versus junk science because I. And I'm not going to be too picky. This is a fictional movie. It is not intended to be a medical lecture. But there's a lot of science fiction (laughs) in this movie. Like, does chloroform really work that fast? Is mind over matter a thing to this extent? And we're going to go through that. I can tell you from personal experience, chloroform takes a little bit longer than you would think. It does take longer than you would think. And um, I am going to end this episode with some RAD or RAD tips. That's rape aggression defense tips. I, You guys have heard me talk about wasp spray and ladles for 
over a year now. That's a, those are tips I picked up from a rape aggression defense class I took in high school. And um, I'm going to go over some really cool tips at the end of this episode. So if you guys aren't interested in listening to that kind of stuff, you can just turn it off. Um, yeah, Kate's super fun to have at parties. Well, it's... She's like, let me tell you about wasps. You think I don't bring that up at parties? Oh, wait. Yeah, you do think I bring that up at parties. Oh, and before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to Sarah from Birmingham, Alabama. She's a new listener to the uh, podcast and a new member of the club. So thank you for this recommendation. Um, and we hope that you enjoy our coverage of it. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Um, thank you. We almost forgot about M. Night Shyamalan. So I'm really glad that we circled back to this one. So speaking of Shyamalan, let's talk money. Oh, wait, no. First, I get to pick a genre, a film genre. So I actually, I always try to pick genres that we can group multiple horror movies into. Uh, this one is a new one, but I'm sure there will be other horror movies in the future that we can group into this genre. I'm calling it I'll Allow It Horror. <laughs> this whole this whole movie, I felt kind of like a judge, like with my <laughs> gal in the air, like, is that too ridiculous? I'll allow it. And ultimately, I decided I'll allow it. That's better. I was going to do Shamalama Ding Dong horror, but I think that this one's probably better. I think that, well, we could grip that one with a lot of movies also. It just depends on if we're ever at the end of this, we ever want to hear from him again. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie is um, not one of his most famous movies. Well, is it? I don't actually know. Well, uh, whenever, I'll talk about uh, critical reception in a second and then. Okay. You'll never have to ask that question again. Great. I saw this movie in theaters and I rem- and it was 2016 and I remember not that many people being in the theater. So that's my guess on critical reception. Entirely unrelated to the content of the movie. There was just no one at that theater. And similarly, a couple years before that, I saw the, the guest, the visit, <laughs> the visit. So the year before this came out in 2015, they had uh, Shyamalan released the visit. And I saw that in at, at our local $3 theater um, and then I saw Split at the same theater the next year, and there was about the same attendance at both movies. To be fair, that I think I know which theater you're talking about, and that theater does late, like delayed showings of movies. So that wasn't like opening weekend or anything. No, I'm not paying opening weekend yeah, prices. No. The last time <laughs> I saw not. M. Night Shyamalan, I think was Lady in the Water, and I think that explains why that was oh. the last time I saw M. Night Shyamalan. That must have left a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, it's like mow the yard. <laughs> So Shyamalan has a reputation. He was very, very, very big um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. He had a string of very, very popular horror movies. And then um, he just hit that place where a lot of artists go, where they're super, super successful right out of the get-go. Well, I shouldn't say right out of the get-go. He, like, grinded really hard to get where he was. But he had, like, eight really good ideas And then everyone kept expecting that caliber. So whenever he made God Help Him, Avatar, Mm. the entire world just turned their back on him, which I don't think is it's fair. But and he's trying. Was Avatar before or after the happening? Yeah, Avatar was after the happening because I watched the happening in high school. Was the happening well received? No. (laughs) When was his last well received one? Well, I guess it. I guess it really depends on what your definition of well received is. Mm, if you're talking money, most of them were well received. Yeah, and made a bunch of money. If you're talking critical reception, that's harder to parse out, and it gets a lot more opinionated the further out we go in his 
the further out you go in his filmography. Speaking of money, so this movie, Split, came out in 2016 on a budget of $9 million. And Emma, do you know how much it made at the box office on a budget of $9 million? I'm going to say, and I haven't looked at any of this, um, $100 million? So this made $278.5 million. Wow. That's yes. very successful. So this made a lot of money. And I didn't look into reception because that's your thing. But no one talks about this movie mm-hmm. post 2016. So you don't have to be super well critically received to be quote unquote successful. So, cause I would call this movie successful financially for sure. Absolutely. I, um, it's interesting. You saw it delayed in sort of one of those kind of last round theaters where they were showing it. And I, I had not seen it or even heard about it until I watched it in December. The Right. I think it was actually New Year's. That was my first time watching it. So, and I didn't know what I was going into except that the person I was watching it with, uh, Peter, my boyfriend, was basically just like, it's about somebody with multiple personalities. That's all I knew about it going in. I didn't have, I didn't remember any trailers or anything like that. So it's interesting that it did so well. And I just have no recollection of it. I'm just now realizing that people might not know what this movie's about. Emma, can you give us like a synopsis, like a one sentence? Sure. So this is a 2016 M. Night Shyamalan. It's a psychological horror thriller. And it's about an individual who has 24 different personalities. And one of them kidnaps three young women and is is holding them in a bunker. Um, And so it's about kind of their attempt at escape as well as the, uh, I can't, I don't recall if it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I think psychiatrist. So I think psychiatrist. Uh, attempting to kind of learn more about this, this individual and get suspicious along the way. Speaking of, um, psychiatrists, do you, oh, well, I don't know if you, have you, mm, I don't know if you've seen this movie, that actress, her name is Betty Buckley and she looked familiar to me, and so I, I looked up to see if I had seen anything that she was in, and she is in a very, very famous horror movie called Carrie. Emma, have you seen Carrie? Oh, is she in, like, the original Carrie? Yeah, she's in the original Carrie. She's the teacher, Miss Collins. Oh, yeah. Which is a very similar role to what she's in in this movie. Mm-hmm. And not only is she in Carrie, she plays Carrie's mom in the short-lived cl- classic Carrie the Musical. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Does that mean she can sing? Yeah, so she can sing very well. So she also played Dolly in the first U.S. national tour of Hello, Dolly. And she was Grizabella the Glamour Cat, the very first one on Broadway. I thought she was really well-spoken, like enunciated words very well. And and that just makes a lot of sense when you think about her extensive Broadway career. Wow. Extensive Broadway, yes. Yeah, so so. Shout out to you, Betty Buckley. I I noticed you, and I've seen your stuff, and I love it. I haven't seen Carrie the Musical, but I'm dying to do that. I bet it's fun. And I bet it's great. And if it's anything as good as American Psycho the Musical, I'm down to watch it. <laughs> There's also very famously James McAvoy, which I just learned how to pronounce that name. <laughs> See and the end of this is... for her original pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one can know. No one can know how I pronounced it. He uh, very he plays all twenty four personalities. It's twenty four, right? Two yes. four. Okay. He plays all the personalities um, of James McAvoy. I don't know which name to pick. He's also very famous um, as being Professor X from X Men, and I knew him most recently as being Bill, um, Bill Denbro in It Chapter Two. 
Yes. And I also know him in general as being a very attractive actor. <laughs> we also have the protagonist, who's Anya Taylor-Joy. She's super famous right now for The Queen's Gambit, but I also know her um, from The Witch, uh, Thoroughbreds. She's in a bunch of stuff, and she's very, very talented. I'm trying to remember the name of her friend. Her friend is also has has she was in the Edge of Seventeen. She was the sister. I know she was the best friend who was dating the brother. Have you seen the Edge of Seventeen? Oh, she was, and she's been in a good amount of stuff since then. Well, good Let's for see. her. What is her name? Her name is her name is Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, I think you might be looking this up as we speak, and I think no. you might be looking it up incorrectly. I just mixed her up with her role. I thought she was in True Detective, but that must have been somebody else. <laughs> Woody Harrelson. Okay, her. I have her name now. I have her name. I have her name and I knew it the whole time. It's Haley yeah. Lou Richardson. That yeah, that's what up. you said. Is she in Witness Protection? What is that? Haley Lou Richardson. Well, it's better than Woody Harrelson. I really want to go into the fact versus junk science, but first I want to hear how this did critically. I know all about how it did financially, and I wish we could all be <laughs> so lucky, but tell us how it did critically. Absolutely. And I'll just add that before um, I continue that this this podcast will contain spoilers. Uh, we won't spoil um, any other movies, but we will be spoiling this one. Including movies. We will not spoil movies related to this movie. Yes, that is what I was getting at. Um, okay, so with regard to critical reception, so Rotten Tomatoes, do you want to take a guess? Bad. Bad? What's bad? Bad like less than 50% or? Bad is below a 60%. Okay. Well, it actually did pretty well. It got 77%. What? Yeah, 77% critics and then 79% audience. So That's actually that's very good. Strong. Yeah. Okay, okay. I apologize. <laughs> IMDb gave it a 7.3 out of 10. I think I'm Oh my just, God, don't care. I don't care. even know how to tell you this. It's always going <laughs> to... Why do you even look it up? I don't know. I think tradition or something. Okay. There, I, I selected a couple of critic reviews that I think uh, summarize what a lot of people were saying, both audience and critic reviewers. So this, the first one is from Udita Junjunwala from Live Mint. And she said, this is still not mint condition Shyamalan, but he's heading in the right direction with some help from McAvoy, who gives Kevin and 23 other characters all that he's got. McAvoy killed it in this movie. I think we can all agree. I, I definitely think he's my favorite part of the movie. Just watching him switch in and out of personalities, I think is very impressive and convincing. His role seems like like an actor's fantasy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone wants to be a like a twin or something like that. This is way better than that. <laughs> and he did really well. I was really impressed with how he did. I was always looking forward to Hedwig and all of his different characters i think hedwig was my favorite i liked hedwig the most also his little baby voice was odd but just convincing i liked watching him walk what the way he walked yeah i liked watching him walk very much i also appreciated that hedwig was like the only person that had any sort of silver lining like maybe we won't feed you to the beast so i might be a little biased i want to tell you two other reviews and then also i have a couple of club comments from our club members Oh, I'm excited. This is the first time that we've had club comments. Yay, yeah, club comments. Thank you all for sharing some of those with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I get tired of Emma's opinion. We like your opinion. <laughs> I haven't even given my opinion. I've given everyone's opinion <laughs> but my opinion. Exactly, the way I like it. <laughs> all right, tell me those reviews. Tell me those sure. reviews. So the you first know, one, like I said, it, people were kind of saying, we think Shyamalan's doing sort of his shyamalan thing, and this this is the best thing he's done in, in a minute, and also McAvoy is – really shining in this role. So then kind of on the other side of the coin, 
There, this one is from Matthew Rosa from Salon.com, and he said, "You bring you bring up a lot of Salon.com reviews. I'm starting to think they just have a lot of opinions. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, they do. They I don't know really how they're do. growing them over there, but they have a lot of interesting opinions." Sorry for interrupting. What did they say? So, anyways. Split takes a step in this direction by positing that mental sickness might not always be an actual illness, but then it takes two steps back by exploiting moviegoers' fears that people with unusual mental conditions can be unpredictably violent. So I I know – I didn't look up critical reception, but this much I do know. People got really offended by this movie, like very offended. And I don't mean to get excited about that. But I do like when people get offended by movies. So, Emma, can you tell us a little bit about what people's qualms were sure. specifically? Sure. So people had a lot of issues with um, the representation of individuals with dissociative identity disorder, which is um, formerly known as multiple personality disorder. I think one of the – and I can talk about this a little bit more um, later, but I think that the general – issue that arose was people were saying, hey, you're making people scared of us. You're portraying us as predominantly violent when that's a a vast minority and you're not showing how multiple personalities are created as a way of helping people to compartmentalize and process traumatic experiences in their life. And so I I think that, and I'll talk about this more when I talk about the medical side of it, but I think that that was kind of what's being fused into what this salon.com article is saying. And I'll go ahead and just throw this out here. I don't have DID. Emma does not have DID. But I I guess my concern is this was not representing the majority of people with DID. This is huge spoiler alert an origin story for a supervillain. Right. So I I would I can understand someone who has DID saying, I wish we had more positive or more true-to-life representation in media, but that's not what this was trying to be. I think it's, I agree with you, but I think it's challenging because you spend this entire movie kind of transitioning between down in the bunker with these girls being held hostage, and then the other piece of it is him being therapized, uh, by a, a very um, capable psychiatrist. And so you're selling the DID image the entire time until the very end where you go, just kidding, this is an origin story. And you're everyone's kind of like, what? And I actually like, whenever I was talking about this movie and how I was going to cover it to a couple of friends, they were telling me about some end scene. I was like, I don't even remember that. Like with uh, sort of when it goes straight up sci-fi. And I think that just speaks to the fact that the, the large part of the movie is just about the DID. You don't really get to delve into the sci-fi part until the very, very last bit. Um, maybe it would have been nicer if I that that's a valid opinion. I think I could have seen it being better received if they had made it more sci-fi on the front end. Mm-hmm. Well, I will hold off. I don't want to talk about it just yet because I want to get into a little bit of the meat and potatoes uh, from your perspective. But before I do that, I do just want to. Uh, shout out just a couple of Instagram club comments. So the first shout out is to Jones Brandon, who said that he thought that this was an amazing movie. He goes, that twist though. So I think he was really sold <laughs> well on <put>. it. Very well put. <laughs> so he's part of the 77%. Um, and then another individual kind of echoes what Matthew Raza from Salon.com saying. So to shout out Just Set Me on Fire, she makes a point that Hollywood needs to stop using mental illness as a horror movie trope. And then lastly, Kasemp from Instagram says, James McAvoy is outstanding. This is a true showcase of talent. 
Absolutely. Hells yes. A plus for James McAvoy. <laughs> and it's not pronounced McAvoy. I know that now. I've already learned so much. I agree with all of those opinions. Yeah. If it's possible to agree with all of them, I do too. I do too. I, I think that that's exactly right. Those are my um, those are my favorite parts of the movies and my least favorite parts of the movies. So well put, club members. <laughs> Well put. And just so we know, um, the twist that Brandon's talking about at the end, we haven't talked about that yet. That's not when it goes straight up sci-fi. That's not necessarily the twist that he's talking about. It gets twistier. Um, but first, since we're talking a little bit about stretching reality into fiction, I would love to talk about fact versus junk science in this movie. Yeah, let's do it. So the first one the magic chloroform that he has where <laughs> what do you mean? he so he puts it on it's a trope as old as time Shyamalan didn't isn't the first one to make this error but um the biggest way that this character is capturing people and incapacitating people is by having a chloroform soaked rag that he's placing over their nose and mouth uh and they're out like a light that's not how chloroform works. <laughs> I used to work with chloroform a lot back um, whenever I was a researcher. We use it a lot in um, a lot of our DNA stuff. And um, also, I'm downloading this podcast for evidence when the FBI asked me why I Googled how fast does chloroform work, <laughs> <laughs> why it's on my computer. But the answer is it takes at least five minutes of inhaling an item soaked in chloroform to render a person unconscious. And most cases, um, like actual criminal cases in real life that involve chloroform also involve another drug being co-administered, usually alcohol or some sort of like benzodiazepine like Valium mm. or or in this one I thought was a little interesting, or in the other cases, the victim has been found to be complicit in its administration, meaning they saw it in a movie and they're going to be like, okay, and they like, we're trying to like f- trick the law and they're like, oh, we'll just pretend that I got chloroformed. Mm. And then the law was like, but that's not how science works though. So that's the first one is chloroform does not work that fast. The second one is a much bigger one and it's more relevant to what people are what people's complaints are for this movie and it's this mind over matter so a big part of this movie and a big part of the science fiction of this movie is the idea that by altering our mindset we can alter the chemistry and the physicality of our own being so the super hyperbolic science fictiony example in the movie is kevin who is the center personality or the base personality of McAvoy's character, he has this, the 24th personality called the Beast. And he is another emergent, the most recent, the most recently emergent personality of Kevin. And this mind over matter thing comes into play because of the claims that they keep making that all the other personalities keep making about the Beast. They're saying his arms are physically longer, significantly physically longer than the other personalities, than Kevin's body is. He's significantly stronger and more muscular. He can climb walls. He can do all of these physical feats that humans can't do. And they back this up in the movie with a bunch of, I mean, it, movie, movie science. So one of the examples they give is, oh, they're, and this is the psychiatrist who keeps telling people that people with DID are underestimated and that they may be stronger. Um, that, that, and that's kind of a core concept of this movie is that those who suffer 
are stronger and are special. And the movie science of that is she gives an example of, oh, there are cases of people who are allergic to bee stings who have a personality that isn't allergic to bee stings. There's another character, there's another personality in the movie that has type 2 diabetes and needs insulin injections, but none of the other personalities need them. So all of that ties back to this thought of mind over matter. And the long and short of it is no, (laughs) that's not how that works. Your pancreas doesn't suddenly start making insulin (laughs) because your brain tells it to. But there is a lot of power behind mindfulness as a practice. And um, if, if those of you who aren't familiar with this idea of mindfulness, it's this very popular, or increasingly, I should say it's not very, an increasingly popular practice where people are focusing without judgment on their own thoughts and their own environment. And it's true, it can actually change the chemical makeup of the body, um, which does kind of lead some credence to what this psychiatrist is saying. Like if you put your mind over your matter, if your mind over your body, you can change things. And this practice has been shown, and these are super significant results. They've been shown to decrease the amounts of epinephrine, norepinephrine, so adrenaline, uh, cortisol, stress hormones. They can decrease that in your body. They can work at the level of your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland and your adrenals, and they can, which is basically like the body's center for regulating stress hormones. And it has even been shown in at least one paper, that it can slow cell aging because it can reduce telomere lengths. Um, That was in a a cancer journal. And so there is a lot of legitimacy to mindfulness and mindfulness as a practice in modern medicine. And they are using it more and more for treating psychological conditions and drug relapse and eating disorders. And that makes a lot of sense because whenever you think about modern um, therapies, like psychotherapies, you think about things like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is based off of this idea that being aware of the way you think and your thought patterns um, by kind of being mindful about rephrasing the way you look at things, you're trying to rewire sort of the the neural pathways that you were previously going down and the kind of some of the implicit assumptions that you formerly had. And so that's been used a lot with CBT and is actually even used for treatment of dissociative identity identity disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. We use it, my, my psychiatrist uses it with me for, um, I have a OCD and I use um, cognitive behavioral therapy for that reason. Um, and it's been, it's super effective and there's a lot of books that I've been reading about it. So there, I, I get where the nugget of this movie concept came from and then Shyamalan just pushed it into fiction intentionally. Like it's at the end of this movie, it's very clear that he's not trying to trick you into believing that this is how true science works. Since we talked about what science is not, do you want to talk just a little bit about what multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder actually is? Yeah, I would. I feel like I don't know anything about it other than what I see in movies, which obviously is not the most accurate. Sure. So there have been lots of portrayals of it because it is such an interesting phenomenon. So Dissociative identity disorder is a real disorder. Uh, it's characterized by an involuntary escape from reality uh, that with the disconnections between your thoughts, your identity, your consciousness, and your memory. And it can affect people of all age groups, all race, ethnicities, socioeconomic bas- backgrounds. So people who experience this, about 75% of them will have at least one episode of this uh, dissociation. But a minority of 2% of these people will have chronic episodes, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what's being portrayed here, where someone's chronically battling it. Um, and then women are more likely to 
than men to be diagnosed with diagnosed with this. So they the symptoms develop. They're not mm-hmm. inherent to when to when you're born. They usually develop in response to some sort of traumatic event, such as um, physical or mental or emotional abuse. Or and that's true in this movie because for Kevin, it stems from physical and emotional abuse at the hands of his mother. So that's true. That that can really happen. Absolutely. Um, even military uh-huh. combat can can cause this. Like a PTSD type picture can cause this. And what's happening is, is the individuals, their brain, they're trying to keep those memory memories under control. So in stressful situations can exacerbate this. Um, and what will end up having it happening is they end up sort of compartmentalizing um, themselves into different personalities. And that is a, just a very remarkable thing that your brain can do. And so I can see why it's utilized for science fiction purposes and the same way that, you know, when people heard that, oh, you know, the, the your brain has this much capacity. And if we used, you know, the in Limitless, they were like, well, if you used all of your brain at the same time, which is just, it's not how that works. That sort of pseudoscience is just based off of, yes, we're using all of our brain. There's not a piece of our brain that's just chilling, but <laughs> no. you're just not using it all at the same time, which is why they say you're using like 10% or I don't actually know it. I don't recall what the most recent percentage is. Anyway, so that's a little bit about the background of uh, dissociative identity disorder. And then the treatment for it, as I've alluded to, it can be things like antidepressants to try to address sort of the things that you're uh, emotionally dealing with. And then also, as I mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy is is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and though some people can find a treatment plan that helps them sort of go back to, quote, um, their singular personality, the goal is often with, with the minority who have these chronic episodes, not necessarily to rid themselves of all the other personalities, but to find a way that they can work together uh, synergistically and productively. Yeah. And that's what Betty Buckley's character is doing in this movie. Right. Exactly. For all intents and purposes, even as a fictional psychiatrist, she's a pretty good psychiatrist. I mentioned earlier how people just had a lot of opinions about this. Um, there even was like a CNN article where they were talking to the psychiatrist um, from Mount Sinai, um, and she recalled to CNN that after the movie, she received an email that was that said, "You know, there's a new movie out about a person with DID. It's a thriller horror movie, um, and I just want to know, like, do I ever scare you?" Which is really oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, and so they like a lot. Some people. That's a, that's a, that are um, part of the support group for individuals with DID. Um, they actually tried to um, they actually started a petition. So this psychiatrist was leading it, um, but there were over sixteen thousand signatures trying to um, petition Shyamalan's production company, which was Blinding Edge Pictures, uh, to uh, bring attention to DID and like point out how it is uh, really um, reinforced that that the large, large majority majority of people with DID are nonviolent and also to um, support financially uh, support groups for DID. Did it work? No. That's disappointing because I can tell you right now, and I have told you before, they made almost $300 million with this movie. Yes. Are you sure they didn't do any support to any mental illness companies or... I'm so sorry. That's such a not right. I did not mean to say mental illness companies. I meant psychiatric help groups. They didn't do anything that you know of. That's really disappointing. Yeah, there's, and that's why whenever you gave me that number in my head, I was like, oh, no way that a 
apparently there was, you know, some talks with the production, but there never, nothing ever actually came to fruition and they were just really disappointed by that. And that just makes me, that bums me out. And then something that was also interesting was that McAvoy, he he wasn't able to actually get in touch with people with DID. He tried to reach out, but he couldn't find individuals who would sit with him and talk to him. So Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, so his portrayal was largely based on combos with um, medical professionals and then uh, individuals with DID who had YouTube diaries. Interesting. Yeah, and they do a lot of video diaries in the movie. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. You know, even more than donating money, because I can see it being – uncomfortable for um, mental health awareness groups to take money from this movie that profited so much on this fictional depiction of an actual mental illness. I can see it being weird except offering or accepting money from them, but he could have at least made a statement or his production company could have made a statement. Did they make any statements or anything like that? So I don't know if they... In the article that I saw, I don't know if they if I maybe missed an article where they came back around later on, but I know that shortly after the um release of the film he was quoted as saying and by he i mean m night Shyamalan was quoted as saying we've had no issues from people that have seen the finished film just zero well that's clearly not that just seems like there's some discrepancy there i don't want to be like this person's lying but it just seems like everybody loves it some things got looked over and also that saying something that blanket just seems problematic inherently like no one could have had an issue with this i feel like the better approach to talking about something because I I hear what you're saying. I think that you, it's not necessarily wrong to see something biologically and, and, and have it be inspiration for something that is ultimately science fiction. But I think that you have to address that head on and be responsible with the way you're doing it rather than saying, what are you talking about? Responsible. That's the right word for it. Yes. There's a lack of responsibility here. Cause on like, I, like I said, I have OCD. There are 8 billion movies and television shows about OCD. Every time I turn on Hulu, it's like, do you want to watch people eat glass and like <laughs> throw strollers in front of cars who have OCD? And I'm not like that. It's just entertaining television. And it's obviously not what OCD is like at all. And I have a lot of people who are like, oh, you have OCD. Like you must have like a bunch of sticky notes. And I'm like, yeah, I do. But that's not the point. So like there's a there's a bunch of different ways to represent like mental illnesses or brain differences represent differently in different people. But I'm, I personally can separate the fact from the fiction and kind of suspend my disbelief a bit, but I can see people who wouldn't. Right. So to each their own, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, tell us a little bit about for those who may be a little bit fuzzy. Let's, why don't we talk, walk through the movie a bit. Tell us a little bit about the movie. You mean talk about the entire movie in detail? Yes, by that. That is from the beginning to the end. (laughs) Fantastic. So, this movie opens at a teen birthday party where we have this uh, blonde suburban girl who had and her friend who have pity invited Anya Taylor Joy's character to this party because she's the only person in their art class who they're not actually friends with and they have a very very good responsible father who is like stop being jerks we're gonna drive her home and so all the girls get in the car everyone except for Anya Taylor Joy has zero peripherals and is not paying attention to anything because they are in the backseat giggling over whatever teenagers giggled over in 2016. But I think that and makes sense. You know, you're, you're whenever no. you're like 
super into your conversation. You're not paying attention. But whenever you're like feeling ostracized and just like get me out of this car, you're probably looking around a bit more. Well, also they point, so this again, and I'm going to keep harking back to what the core theme of this movie is, which is those who suffer are special. It is a flawed theme to say the least. But Anya Taylor-Joy has, we'll get to it, but has also had some serious past traumas. And so she has a lot of um, smarts and fortitude that most people don't. And, and you're right. She also is feeling very uncomfortable in this in this car, and she's she's paying attention to the world around her because Dad gets, I don't know what to call it, chloroform maced. He like is sprayed. Yeah, I was with, I was wondering what he was sprayed. Do you think Do you think it was maced? It's supposed to be it's it's supposed to be chloroform. That's not how chloroform or mace works, obviously. I mean, could you just spray yeah, him with he, mace? And they, I mean, he'd be yelling and stuff. No, I don't know why no, 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 no. To the floor and it's not. He's not. We're not pretending it's mace. No, ever, no one. No, no one thinks that's what mace looks like, but a lot of people think that's what chloroform work, gotcha. looks like okay. and works like. So he's sprayed with uh, Acme fast-acting chloroform, hits the ground, and then he gets in the car. He's in the car for a minute before the girls in the back notice, and the girls in the back are figure it out, and they do. They make a fatal error, which is to be nice. And they give him the benefit of doubt. They're like, um, sir, excuse me, sir, I think you're in the wrong car. And those two seconds is all it takes. And he hoses them all down with chloroform mace. And they hark back to that whenever, because one thing that I do like about this movie is these girls are very young, but they're smart and they are strong. And so as soon as they come to in this windowless dwelling, that locked dwelling that they find themselves in. The blonde girl, the first thing she says is, that's some victim shit. <laughs> we, the, we were being nice. <laughs> that's some victim shit. What were we doing? And I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, the, very much a, a lesson for fuck politeness, as they would say on my favorite Yeah, part. don't try to be polite if there's a strange man that climbs into your car. He's not supposed to be there. That is one thing I like about this movie, at least the first third of it. Which and the only reason I say the first third is because I think that's the large the part where the girls are largely in like the most vocal, um, but I like that they are not dumb and they're resourceful and they seem to do things that are clever and logical and it makes me feel like it's more realistic and makes me feel like I can relate to them more. Yeah, I agree because that's not normally what we get <laughs> in movies. They're just fodder normally, so. This, this guy who kidnapped them uh, grabs one of them and is dragging her out of the room, presumably for nefarious reasons. And Anya, who has her special strongness and smartness and experience, grabs her and tells her to pee herself. And so she does. And Kevin, was who took her out of the room and was trying to get her to dance for him because we'll go to, we'll we hit on it later, but he has a proclivity for women who are too young dancing for him. Um, and then he's like, ew, gross, unclean. Cause he's a bit of a germaphobe, a, a lot of a germaphobe. So she, she is spared because she pees herself. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for better tips than pee yourself. <laughs> Cause there are a lot better ones. Not that that's a bad one, but there's a lot better ones. So Casey has a bunch of good ideas. She also has some bad ideas. Casey is on Anya Taylor-Joy's character. 
And so Casey has some bad ideas. So blonde girl, the first thing she, because she's wily and she's she's scrappy. And so blonde girl, Claire, that's her name, Claire. She says, we need to fight back. We need to get out, like waste not a second. Mm -hmm. And Casey is, she has some PTSD. And so she is very, very slow to react in this movie. But she straight up says, no, we need to find out why we're here before we make any sort of move. Again, stay tuned to the end. Don't do that, though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't see any. What are you waiting that. for? Like, what it's are not going to get better. Yeah. No, don't do that. That's terrible You're advice. You're already at a secondary um, location. It's not great, not looking great for you. Exactly. Don't don't don't. You don't want to go to a third location, which they do. It ends poorly. So now we get to get a flashback of young Casey. She's like five, and um, we are introduced to her father and her uncle, and they're both hunters. And um, we find out later in the movie that she has been repeatedly assaulted by her uncle. And then her father died, again, I think when she was like five, when she was very young, and she had been since then cared cared after and presumably currently cared for by her uncle. She is presumably, she is cared for by her uncle because at the end of the movie... yes. There's a beat. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we get a flashback to establish this PTSD for Casey. Then we get to meet Betty Buckley's character, Dr. Fletcher, and she's watching this news report on the three missing girls, and Claire's father is actually alive, and he wakes up and finds his kid gone and his car gone, and then she gets an email immediately from someone named Barry saying that they need to speak and it's urgent. So then we get to meet Barry, and Barry looks a lot like the guy who hijacked the car. Um, Barry's one of Kevin's multiple personalities. He is this Bostonian sketch artist. He's I really like him. He's really fun when he's on screen. And so we have we, we get to enjoy him with his psychiatrist and his psychiatrist just being an overall very good psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, the girls are still actively trying to find a way out. They are looking through the crack in the door and they see what appears to be a woman talking to Kevin. They're called they call out to her and she she approaches. And this is a beat that's it kind of makes you laugh because it's like, oh, that sucks really bad. Yeah. <laughs> like that sucks worse than I thought it could suck. Cause it's not a woman. It's Kevin wearing a skirt and high heels. <laughs> And her name is Patricia, and she's a super polite British woman. And she lets them know that, I'm going to talk to him. He listens to me. Like, he knows he's not allowed to touch you. And they're like, oh, this oh, is cool. really bad. It's like evil Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> it's really bad. And now we flash back to um, Karen, um, Dr. Fletcher. Uh, she's doing a conference over Skype where she's talking about her patients. And she she's kind of... a presumed to be this really high up scholar in the field of DID. And so she talks about how she's talking about her patients, most of which have DID, including, including Kevin. And she talks about how some of their identities have capabilities beyond what their other identities possess and how she can tell which identity is in control. And she uses kind of this, this analogy that Kevin uses where it's like all of the personalities are sitting in chairs in a circle and they don't show it to us, which I appreciate because that would have been extremely cheesy, but it's, I can see it in my mind. All of the, all of the personalities are in a circle um, and they wait their turn and then they take turns coming into the light or someone who's the strongest is stays in the light and holds on to the light and that's who's in, in control. And so she's giving a, a talk 
where she's making these claims and making these assertions about people with DID. And she makes those comments that we talked about, about how they can change their body chemistry with their thoughts. And I thought that was engaging. I, I thought that that was a, a good way of ex- of explaining what DID is. Especially in the framework of this movie. Within the framework of this movie, exactly. Because obviously she's saying that stuff about insulin, which isn't accurate. But um, I think it, it does a good job of setting us up for – it's very – Um, it sets up some foreshadowing, like imagine what they're capable of. Yes, for sure. I also, I appreciate that it's interesting exposition. It's something they they could, they just could have said, but they made it this interesting conference. And I thought that was very creative and fun. Then we get to meet, I think most people's favorite personality, which is Hedwig. And that's James McAvoy crouched down with the mannerisms of like a 10 year old kid or an eight year old kid. Shocking. We enjoy him so much. I enjoy him greatly. Well, because whenever Hedwig's there, <laughs> you're not going to get attacked. Yeah, Hedwig is the, your sliver of hope, if false. Yeah, the the bar is low, but Hedwig is also like ridiculously charming. So Hedwig kind of gives us the deets, which he's obviously not supposed to tell us, but he's like eight, so he loves telling secrets. And he tells us that Patricia and Dennis, oh, that's right, Kevin isn't the one who... Um, capture the girls it's Dennis that's one of his personalities oh interesting I don't think Kevin is in this movie Kevin who is the base personality Kevin who was the primary personality before the others I I don't think he's in this movie I misunderstood at one point and thought that Barry was the base personality but he's just the one who's been in control for a while mostly yeah yeah the top the top three who I think are fighting for the light is mostly Barry and then together Dennis and Patricia and Hedwig I would say and so Patricia and Dennis, those personalities have pretty much taken Hedwig under their wing and uh, because Hedwig is presumably bullied heavily by the other personalities and they have told him pretty much, if you stick with us, kid, like everything is going to be okay. So he has a lot of faith in Patricia and Dennis and he is worried that P- Hedwig is worried that Patricia and Dennis are going to be upset at him and that he's in trouble um, for talking to the girls or for whatever reason. And Casey uses that as an attempt to get out of there which I thought was really sharp and on point. She's like, oh, actually, Hedwig, I think Patricia's still really mad at you and you're in trouble and they're coming for you and all this stuff. And Hedwig leaves and then the girls are looking through a way out through the walls. They're tapping. This is a good tip. They're like knocking on the walls to find a hollow spot and they find one in the ceiling, which I probably would have missed. They find one that's stealing. They're breaking out the plaster, but Hedwig hears him and comes back. And so they're holding the door and Hedwig's trying to come in, but Hedwig has the strength of like an eight or 10 year old. It's not Dennis. Dennis would have been in there. They're able to hold back Hedwig, which I thought was very interesting. I also thought it was great that they're like, Hedwig, we're changing. Don't come in. Yeah, it's kind of charming. You can't come in. So while they're able to hold him off long enough that they can get Claire, the blonde one, up through the hollow point into the vents. And Hedwig's gone, though. I think Dennis is now in control. And you don't want Dennis to be in control. Dennis kidnaps girls. And so she's able to go out of event. She finds an exit. And she starts just running through the creepiest dungeon basement. I don't know where he is. But it's not a good spot to be. Probably a great spot to be if you're keeping three girls. It's probably some, like, abandoned building. So anyways, there's lockers and she hides in a locker, but she's, and this is one of my greatest fears after watching movies, she's breathing too loudly. She's not able to steady her breathing. Uh, it's such a, you're so stuck. I don't, I, maybe I'm weird. Emma, have you ever practiced steadying your breathing to see like if, like, 
like after a run or something like that, just to see if there was someone chasing you, if you could stay quiet. I, I've never tried that in particular. I feel like after a run, you try to normalize your breathing just to like not sound out of That's shape. That's not why. <laughs> That's not why I do it. Sometimes I'll do that like after I exercise just to see if I could. It's the same reason that, and I know you do this too, whenever you are going from your car to your door at nighttime, you see how fast you can get to your door and put the keys in and pretend that someone's coming. Yeah. So it's the same thing. And this is why I practice because she did probably didn't practice. And so she gets caught and Dennis is is just like, come on out. You gotta go. And he, but he doesn't return her to the girls. He locks her in this room by herself. Not great. And then we get to go back to another session with Dr. Fletcher. We have Barry and Dr. Fletcher again. It seems it's mostly Barry who goes to these meetings with Dr. Fletcher, although the other ones do contact her um, via email a couple times in the movie. But Dr. Fletcher has been paying attention, and she is not convinced that Barry is Barry. She feels like Barry has been acting really abnormal lately. She has some ish, some um, traits that are in line with other alter personalities, such as Dennis, um, including OCD, because Dennis has OCD. But Barry is adamant that, nope, I'm Barry. Dr. Fletcher makes a comment about Kevin having 23 distinct identities and personalities, but then Kevin says that there's a 24th identity named the Beast, who Dennis, no one has seen, but Dennis is adamant, is extremely real. And then we go back to the girls. We have Patricia. Patricia is another person that, so Patricia's not the best person to be around, but it's better than Dennis. So you're like, yeah, I'll take she's it. Still it's like Hedwig. <laughs> she's Hedwig, Patricia, she's Dennis. immediately threatening the Dennis. That's true. So she's at least feeding them. So she brings out um, Casey and Marsha. Marsha's the other girl. She brings them out and she makes some little sandwiches. She has that little bit about, there's paprika in it. <laughs> and she's giving them sandwiches. And then she makes, she's making another sandwich and she cuts it crooked. So she starts getting really upset and angry because she cut it crooked. And Marsha takes the opportunity to grab a chair and hit her in the back with it and then That's run. the worst idea she's ever and Casey, had. I mean, the back is turned. It's not Dennis. You're, you got stuff around to throw. You're not locked in the room. If not now, when? But I like that they, they like kind of wait until they have the right moment and her back is turned. And it, and it works. She hits the ground and then Marcia starts running. Casey tries to run too, but she gets caught really fast and she has to go back to her room. Marcia gets cocked caught I'm sorry Marsha gets caught too and then she gets locked again not in that room she goes to like an isolation room um, by herself yeah so they're all getting separated at this yes, point yes they're all separated then we go back to Dr. Fletcher and she's reviewing security footage with the M. Night Shyamalan cameo of a security officer um, yes I, I yes, that uh, outside the building for the record M. Night Shyamalan uh, cameos in all of his movie all of his movies in one capacity or another. And she's she's watching a specific clip where there's garbage on the street outside of her building and people are obviously walking around it, but Dennis walks right through it, which Karen says is a deliberate move because Dennis has really bad, very classic OCD. And so she says she thinks that it's Dennis. She still thinks it's Dennis, but she thinks it's Dennis trying to like prove that it's not Dennis. They lost me for a second there. I'll, it, I'm not I didn't lie. think it was really. Like, wait, I didn't think it was super necessary. Um, like, why would she look at security footage? Yeah, I feel like you could have just had him 
being OCD and it would have been like a little bit of an easier swallow for the for the viewers. Him like not being OCD and that's proof that he it's him. It was just a little bit. Too I much think Doctor Fletcher could benefit from some good old fashioned work life balance. Is what I think. Yeah, I was like, girl, you just go chill. home. Why are you Why are you randomly watching security? footage of one of your many presumably many it's clearly patients. like 8 p.m don't yeah don't you have other patients like go do your records karen but we go back to um casey casey's by herself now and she has hedwig they're super they have this great chem i like they just have a good chemistry of hedwig being ridiculously youthful and naive and casey going along with it and studying and taking notes and making very calculated moves with Hedwig. That might be my favorite scene, actually. I agree. Chemistry, the actors have definite chemistry and and the fact that he portrays that youthful exuberance and naivete and then she seems nurturing while you can also see her oh, she's thinking. very calculating so it just has a lot of layers to it um casey mentions that he really likes kanye west which was a beat i super enjoyed um <laughs> yeah and he's like oh let me show you my music <laughs> sometimes i go in there and i just dance to music <laughs> and he takes her in there and he starts blast blasting some yeezy and it's actually really scary in a funny way because it's not supposed yes. to be scary, but it, it like Shyamalan means it to be scary. But it's just this really physical performance by McAvoy of doing this over the top, intense dancing at the camera. There's a lot going on in that <laughs> scene, I will say. I was torn between being jarred and being like, what the heck is going on? And <laughs> again, you're like, I'm glad it's Hedwig. But I'd still rather not be here. Yes, I'm still exactly. Scared that's, of like, you. that's a great way of putting it. And I forgot to mention this was another calculated move by Casey. She doesn't just actually want to see him dance to Kanye West. He mentioned that he has a window next to his music. And he's like, she's like, wait, where's the window? And he's like, Oh, it's right here. Oh god, it's so depressing even to just say, Oh, it's right here. And he has Two pieces of paper taped to the wall. One is a closed window with shutters. He's like, look, now it's closed. Then he lifts up the paper and there's another drawing of an open window underneath it. He's like, now it's open. It's closed. It's open. Horrifying. Horrifying. Her reaction. Yes. Her just silent horror. But he's like. I was like, me too. Yeah. I, I feel it too, Casey. But Hedwig puts together, he's like, oh, wait, you were trying to escape. And then he pulls out a walkie-talkie, and Casey, like, sees her fucking moment. She grabs it, and she's and he's like, don't call anyone. Don't do it. And he's like, she's like, well, this is my shot. And so she starts calling for help. But they're not listening, and it's so frustrating. They're not paying attention. She's like, help, murder, <laughs> rape, help, fire. I am locked this in this type of building. I'm one, this is my name. I'm on the news. And this guy friggin' sucks. He's like, the guy on the other side of the walkie is just like, is this Kyle? <laughs> and she's like, no, it's not Kyle. But Hedwig's able to take the walkie-talkie back. And then we get another flashback of five-year-old Casey on a hunting trip. And we get to, I'm not going to get into the details because it creeps me out, but we find out that Uncle John has been abusing her. Um, but we have this really big moment where Casey, ha- in the flashback, has a rifle and she has it pointed at him. And she has a moment where she might shoot him. She could shoot him, but she doesn't. She doesn't pull the trigger and her uncle takes back the rifle. 
So then we get to. I thought that was interesting because it, it kind of gave us some insight into like she's so quiet but so thoughtful. I think they gave us some insight into like how close she is on the edge. I also appreciate that we have just more information on her because it would be very easy for her to be a boring character otherwise. Not saying that you have to have all of this exposition to be an interesting character, but she's basically silent <laughs> for most of the movie unless she's trying to placate Hedwig. So I, I appreciated having some some relevant background. Then we get to go back to Claire and Marsha. Claire has not <laughs> stopped fighting, and I love her for it. She she remembers that it was a slide bolt, or it's she heard a slide bolt whenever they threw Marsha into the room next to her. So they're communicating um, through the wall. And so she is able, she gives Marsha, I think she gives it to Marsha, a wire. And Marsha's trying to slide the wire up and over so that she can undo the slide bolt from the other side of the door, from inside the room. Yes. The blondies really having to work overtime to take care of her situation and Marsha. Yeah, because Marsha's like full on having a breakdown. (laughs) Well, it doesn't work out because at first you're like, wow, are they really going to do this? No, they don't do it. But I'm glad they tried. I'm glad they tried. You know, knowing it was an M. Night Shyamalan movie, I thought that there were going to be more survivors yes. than there are. It was darker than what I was accustomed to for M. Night Shyamalan, which is... Yeah, we might as well say it. Those two girls don't live. Like, they super don't live. They super don't make it out. The movie, as Kate's about to get to, gets very graphic. Um, which was just shocking to my system because all of my favorite M. Night Shyamalans have been largely suspense movies, not as much horror. This this um, devolves into horror pretty fast. So then we go back to Dr. Fletcher, who I, I love how much airtime Dr. Fletcher gets. Love it. She could have more and I would be happy. Dr. Fletcher goes to Kevin's house and she is greeted by Dennis and he invites her in and they keep talking about the beast and um, the guy is called the P- the Beast, the followers, the following altars, all following personalities, they're called the Horde. Um, so that's, and I think that's mostly like Dennis, Patricia, Hedwig, and Barry. But Karen then gets super horrified and she finds Claire trapped in a room. She does this sneaky bit where she's like, mm, stuff is fucked up. She pretends that she needs to go to the bathroom and then kind of snoops around because her spidey sense is on high alert and then she finds Claire. So if this is happening to you guys and your spidey sense is on high alert, call the police. Leave Leave the building. building. Don't try to be a hero. You won't be. You're just going to make it harder for everybody. So spoiler number two, I guess. Dr. Fletcher doesn't make it either. So she finds Claire like topless because they they took her shirt because it was quote unquote dirty. So she's in a bra like on the ground it's not a good picture and dr fletcher is putting together like oh you kidnapped all those girls and she gets caught and she's like you have to stop you have to call the police like this is super bad and dennis is like no and he chloroform mazes her (laughs) it's one way to handle conflict (laughs) i mean he's got a surplus of it and it's gonna go bad so he's just using it it would be irresponsible if you had Acme, fast-acting chloroform to not use it. <laughs> yeah, that's the word, irresponsible. Um, then we go back to Casey. Casey um, finds this laptop that has all of these vlogs from all of Kevin's identities. I liked it. I thought it was, again, a really cool way to get some exposition on all the personalities and to watch McAvoy 
act out all of these different personalities. I liked the the woman who had the type two diabetes the most. She was just I was Jade. Jade, yeah. Jade just like gives no fucks and I appreciate that about Jade. Wish she'd rein in the other ones a little bit more, but I guess that's not how it works. <laughs> um, then we get Dennis goes to an abandoned train station and he transforms into the beast. The reason for this being earlier in the story, whenever Barry slash Dennis is talking to Dr. Fletcher in their in her office, there um, he's giving kind of the lore for the beast, and Dr. Fletcher is like, none of this makes sense. Like, why does, like, none of this makes sense? And why is he so different from the other ones? Like, he doesn't exist. And you're being bullied by your other personalities into believing he exists. And she even at one point is like, have you seen the beast, like, with your own eyes? And Dennis Barry is like, no, I haven't. And then later on, he's like, that was a lie. Yes, I have. I actually think that this was good placement, that they put it early early on about him having this exaggerated stature and longer fingers and all that. I liked that because it confused me. I did at this point, I did not know it was a sci-fi. And so I, well, no one did trying to understand if it was real or not. You know, I thought it did a good job of, of, of getting me confused as a viewer. So that was entirely intentional. That was Shyamalan's intent. Right. The trailers didn't have and you seeing that. the beast. Like it was very, very hidden. There's a big twist at the end, like a big, oh shit moment. But there's also this one, which is you don't know if the beast is real or not. And right now it's like, boom, yes, he's real. And so we get to see him, McAvoy, go to this train station, transform into the beast. He's significantly taller. He's a beefcake. And he comes home and he finds Dr. Fletcher, who has come to very briefly, and she's super groggy, and she's trying to write something on a piece of paper. Um, And he sees her. He's, oh my God, it's so fucked up. He actually starts crawling on the walls. Which you're like, oh, (laughs) you meant that super literally. Like he's actually crawling the walls. So he's crawling it. Dr. Fletcher grabs a knife and is stabbing him, but the knife breaks. Yeah, that's when you know things are not going to go well from there on And that's another point of being like, this is, this, he is not human. This is not a human identity. This might be humanoid, but it's not a human identity. Then the beast literally bear hugs Karen into oblivion and just like snaps her in half or whatever. And she dies. I think what gets a little bit, yeah, that was a lot. Um, I think what gets a little bit confusing at this point is I don't know, because they're not doing crazy sci-fi things where you're literally looking at his fingers and they look long and alien-like. He just looked beefed up and now he's climbing on walls. So for me as a viewer, even at this stage, I thought that they were just trying to make some point about how like if you're using different parts of your brain or more parts of it, then you can have this like super athletic personality that's your personality disorder. So I I at this point didn't know it was a athletic. sci-fi, which I think for me detracted from the rest of it. Cause I was like, what? Like, no. Like I just wasn't buying in because I didn't feel like it was a full sci-fi pitch. No, it totally sense. makes sense. That's like one of the biggest failings of this movie. I just didn't know what at that point I was just kinda like, what? Like, and some just, people really what? liked that. That was my predominant feeling. Some people really liked that. I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was fine. I was able to be like, oh, okay, I guess that there's this, like, super fantasy component. But, yeah, a lot of people are like, wait, wait, what the actual – wait, this is a real thing? And then they all went home and Googled if this is possible. No, it's not possible. 
We had rain on their parade. Yeah, they're so devastated. I, if there was an identity where I could be much fitter than I actually am, I would be that personality all day. Okay, you could be much fitter. Yeah, than but you know not with the power of my mind <laughs> <laughs> on my couch. So now Casey's running around the building. She's trying to find Marsha and Claire. She finds Marsha. Marsha's been eaten. She finds Claire. Claire's alive. Then Claire gets eaten right in front of her. And then Casey finds that piece of paper that Dr. Fletcher wrote on, and it says, say his name, Kevin Wendelcrum. And this is tying back to something that she had said in a previous therapy <laughs> session with Barry, which is her saying, you know I can say your full name and I can bring Kevin to the spotlight. So apparently that's like a mechanic of this fake DID is that she can summon his summon Kevin and get rid of the other personalities. So then the beast finds Casey, but then she starts shouting his name, Kevin Wendell Crumb. She keeps saying it over and over again, and he starts to kind of slowly transition back to, from beast to Kevin. And we get the briefest of flashbacks where we get to the core of Kevin's PTSD, which is his mother's abuse. And so we see his mother yelling at him while he hides under the bed, saying, you know, Kevin Wendell Crumb, you've made a mess. And so now we flash back again. Present day Kevin is in the room. He has no idea what's going on. Kate, he's like, did I hurt you? And Casey's like, yeah, you did a lot worse than that. But he immediately is like, okay, I know what you need to do. He gets a gun from one of his cabinets and he gives it to her and is like, you've got to kill me. Um, he gives her a gun. He says, you need to kill me. She obviously does not want to do this. And then she's in that moment again that she was, it's a perfect parallel to her uncle where she has the gun, she has the bullets, but she just can't pull that trigger because a part of that is still her uncle. And for him, a part of that is an innocent person. And so she can't compel herself to pull the trigger. And then Kevin goes away and the beast starts to come back. And so Ke Kevin runs and the beast starts crawling on the ceiling and is like thwapping all the lights as he goes with his big beefy arms. Was it was really scary because now Casey has no light because she still has the gun, but now she has not, no aim. So the beast attacks Casey and bites her. She gets away. She like sneaky snakes into like behind these bars that he can't fit through. <laughs> but then the beast just grabs the bars and starts to bend them. Yes. And this is why I said, this has to be sci-fi. Yes. So he starts to bend the cages. Um, and it's important to note that Casey has had her shirt ripped at some point during the scuffle. And you can see her belly. And she has all of these scars from her previous abuse all over her body. And then we have another flashback um, where we find out that she went into the care of her uncle after her father died. So that's kind of confirming that, yeah, these are abuse scars from her uncle. And then the beast says, you are different. You are pure hearted. I forgot a very important thing. <laughs> so throughout this movie, the horde, Hedwig, Patricia, Dennis, those personalities, they have selected these girls because they've never known pain because they live basically fluffy suburban lives. And he, he specifically wanted those two girls, Claire and Marsha. He had been watching them for a while. And then Casey just kind of quite literally came along for the ride whenever her, her bus didn't show or whatever it was and she needed a ride. So Casey was an extra, an extra catch. And so he, the whole movie, he has no guilt for these killings because he's like, they have no, they're pure, like they have their, what, what's the word I'm trying to say? 
like they're adulterated by their lack of problems and their lack of pain. Basically, yeah, they basically they are privileged is what he's really getting at. They're, yes, privilege. That's the word, privilege. And then, but then he sees Casey's scars, and he's like, "Oh, you are pure. You are special." And he just leaves her alone. And so that harkens back to the moral of the story, which is those who suffer are special. Not a great moral. No. Obviously, there are many people who have all sorts of issues who don't have physical scars on their body. Also, just not a fun game or a good game to say, I've been more damaged than you. And also, you don't know those two girls' lives. Like, because he stalked them for a while. Like, they were allowed to get mauled because you don't. You've not seen them being like beaten. They're like, what? It's 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 flawed. It's it's not the best theme. And obviously, like McAvoy himself doesn't have his character doesn't have scars all over him from his abuse. Not that we see, and we see a lot of his shirtless, beefy beast body. So it's not it. I it's a beat that I want to hit so badly, but it just super doesn't. So anyway, eventually Casey gets found. Um, she's brought to safety to the, to a police car, there are medics, um, and a policewoman says, is like, okay, your uncle's here to pick you up. And this, this is the beat that I did like where she, Casey says nothing, but she just like makes like emotional contact with this policewoman and the, without saying anything, the policewoman's like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. Like you're not going with him. Yes. I loved that. I really, really liked that. I liked it a lot. Now we have this last scene, and this is the twist. We have a scene in a diner where, and and just a warning, some of you might not be familiar with this twist at all because you haven't seen the movie that it's referring to, so just bear with me. So the last scene is in a diner. People are watching this news report about the Beast and Kevin, and the anchorwoman says starts talking about how the Beast has can display these characteristics and how he... um, this identity of the beast is displaying characteristics of all this, all these animals at the zoo where this where Kevin worked. Yeah, and one of the guests of the diner mentions, "Hey, doesn't that sound like that?" Again, it doesn't, but doesn't that sound like that guy in the wheelchair from fifteen years ago? What was his name? <laughs> you can't see have- Kate, but she's like stroking her chin inquisitively, which is exactly <laughs> what they were trying to, the the vibe that they were trying to get from that. It was on the nose. I rolled my eyes. And also, the first time what I was do very they excited. have in common? Nothing. <laughs> I see nothing in common. But she's like, hmm, so what's his name? And then we see Bruce Willis as his character David Dunn from the movie Unbreakable in this surprise cameo, and he replies... They called him Mr. Glass, and you fade to black. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with a movie almost two decades old called Unbreakable, that wasn't that popular. I'm not going to talk about the movie. I'm not going to give any spoilers for the movie. Um, If you're interested in looking up the ties between Unbreakable and Split and the sequel of this movie, Glass, because this is technically the second in a very long trilogy about... Uh, Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable, you can look all that up. I'm not going to get into it, but this was like a super surprise ending. Nobody saw this coming. Like literally, I hadn't thought about Unbreakable in like years. The problem is that nobody asked for it. Oh, damn. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, I saw Unbreakable such a long time ago. I actually thought it was very interesting and some of the the things it was doing were very engaging. But the problem is, like you're saying, it was, if I recall, like 
early 2000s. Oh, literally came out in 2000. So, oh God, that's old. We haven't thought about it in 16 years. So to like randomly have Bruce Willis there talking about Mr. Glass, I'd forgotten who that was. And also like, it doesn't connect enough. It doesn't connect enough at all. Unless like the only connection is that, okay, now we're in a sci-fi world. That's the only thing it accomplishes. And people have special abilities. You know what I'm saying? That's it. Yeah, just people have special abilities is what it's getting at. Yeah. And again, and again, and again, people who have suffered have special abilities, pretty much. And that's why I just kind of felt, like, bombed. So whenever I saw it, I was extremely excited because they, like, first of all, Unbreakable has a kick-ass score. It does. And at the end of this movie, they start, you start hearing the drums of the score, and you're like, oh, this, this is a bop. And then you kind of start listening, and you're like, is that the Unbreakable score? Mm-hmm. And then you see Bruce Willis, and you're like, oh, snap. And you get really excited. But it, again, it didn't need to happen. That movie is, was 15 years old at this point. It was, it's kind of a cult following, I would say. Like, it's not the most popular movie. I really enjoy it. I have it on DVD. I think it's a great movie. And even I wasn't looking for a sequel. You just needed to somehow... I don't, I'm trying to think of how you could bridge that. It's almost like the train has already left the station. I, I thought it was a... Um, it was called a shadow sequel or something. It has a name, yeah, shadow sequel? Yeah, they called it a shadow sequel. Oh, very cool. Yeah, nobody knew it was a sequel, which just left a lot of people confused. Left me very excited until I heard that Glass was really, really bad. Glass was the third in the trilogy where, excuse, where Split was the second, and I heard it was really bad. I'm not going to talk about either of those movies. Let us know if we're wrong and you loved it. Let us know if you loved Glass. I would. I will absolutely watch Glass if there's interest in it. I kind of need a little bit of a push to go watch it because the reviews are so bad that I'm just like, I don't want to <laughs> sully the memory of Unbreakable. But if there is club interest, I'm super happy to watch that. Okay, Kate. So tell me what your overall, what's your overall review for this? Actually, I have a better idea. So take a second and think about what you would give it out of 10. And I'm going to do the same. Okay. Six. That's right. That's what I was thinking also. This is a solid six yes, for me. I agree. And the reason I say that is I really enjoyed the characters. I really enjoyed the acting. I thought the acting was I really enjoyed McAvoy's performance. The antagonist. A lot. I liked the protagonist. I was very engaged. Love Dr. Fletcher. In scenes, but I really felt like the last fourth of the movie took a nosedive that I like checked out where I had previously been very engaged and curious about where it was going. So I, I feel like it almost was like it was at an eight. And then went down to a four. And so here we are at a six. I agree with that. I wanted more resolution, but it's very, I, as I think my disappointment stems from it didn't have a strong resolution because they were unknowingly to us setting it up for a sequel. Exactly. And then I also like to say the magic word of say his name. I think it's fair, but it seemed like such a easy out in a sense like I, it makes sense yeah. in this fake world but it also just felt like an easy out in a way that I feel like in some of the other um, M. Night Shyamalan's that I've seen and that I loved his earlier works like Signs or Sixth Sense or The Village I felt like the resolutions were complex and earned and I don't mean this in a Shyamalan 
diss of any sort because I think he gets way too much flack on the internet. I think he's extremely talented. I think that his filmography is outstanding. And I think that sometimes he tries really ambitious things and they just don't land. And that's okay. He tried. Um, Before we wrap up, I do want to go through my rape aggression defense tips real fast. It's going to be real simple, straight to the point stuff that I want you guys to remember. So if you haven't heard of my other um, episodes, my two favorite tips I'm going to go over again. Uh, first is wasp spray. I highly recommend keeping a can of wasp spray by your bed. Wasp spray works a lot like mace when you spray it in someone's eyes, only it shoots 50 feet. So you don't have to get close to them. You can shoot it from your bed. You can shoot it from across the room. Wasp spray. <laughs> Also, wasp spray is not illegal, whereas in many places, mace is illegal to have. So, wasp spray. The other one is a ladle. A lot of times in movies and in real life, people who are threatened will grab a knife for self-defense. You are, I'm not saying that you won't use a knife. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's never appropriate to use a knife in self-defense. I'm just saying that most of the times you know your attacker and it can be difficult to stab someone that you know. Stabbing is very visceral, very gross. Um, Ladles are fantastic because you don't have to be a great shot. You're not going to cause fatal damage, but if you smack it really hard on their nose, it breaks their nose and they tear and then you can run away. So ladles and wasps. Yeah. Love it. The other one is fingernails. And this, I guess I, hold on. And before I tell you the rest of mine, there's one thing I want to say is that I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a lot of the information that you've received about rape aggression defense, which is stuff we've all heard like, oh, make yourself vomit, pee on yourself. All I'm saying is that we as women get catered to and being told you're, you're never going to be able to overpower a man. So you might as well just do all of the passive things you can to stop them from attacking you. And that's not true. Very, very often you can overpower men and escape or make it harder for them or stave off time until they get busted. There's so many things you can do. So don't be afraid to go on the offense. So fingernails, most of us have them. They don't have to be super long to go into eyeballs. If you can get one fingernail and shove it as hard as you can into an eyeball, the tip I have, and I'll, you get a great visual of me on the camera, um, one tip I have is to take both fingernails, one from each hand, your index finger, shove it directly into the eye, and then make a scooping motion. And sc- I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then you make a scooping motion, and you scoop outward, and you really scratch those corneas as hard as you can. So also, after you scoop the eyeball underneath your fingernails, you have DNA. And DNA is stuff that you can take with you to the police. So um, the second one, um, this is something that ever since I've learned, I'm like, holy crap, I'm never doing that again. I'm very conscious about it. Don't use your beeper when you're far away from your car. So like, let's say you're in a parking lot, you see your car, you go ahead and go to unlock it and it goes beep, beep. So what you've done is you basically put one of those like quest markers on your car and have said, this is my location. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going. And that tells other people, oh, if I get there first, I can catch her or I can hide underneath her car or whatever creepy thing they're into. Those are great. Okay. Those are very helpful. So next we need to decide where this goes on our scoreboard. So for me, this is near the bottom. I would say this is the bottom quarter. I don't I'll, like you and I can get into it more seriously whenever we're updating mm-hmm. the list, but this is bottom quarter for me. And we have about 50 movies on this list. 
Oh, I don't know. It bottom quarter, so bottom. I don't know if I'd put it that low, right? Don't you have like more flops than that at the bottom? Beetlejuice is like dead center, pretty much. This is below Beetlejuice. We got we got Friday the Thirteenth. We have Nightmare on Elm Street, Strangers, It, Exorcist. This is below all of those. I don't think they can. This can't. Yeah, this can't keep up with those. I don't think. I didn't love the It movie, but I just think that the content's better. Okay, all that's right. fair enough. I can, and I can we're going to reorganize this list, so we'll we'll make it more specific whenever we get there. Okay, that sounds good. If you guys want to check out our scoreboard, again, we're going to update it very soon, but it's on our Tumblr, which is just nightlighthorrormovieclub.tumblr.com. And um, we also post some fun stuff on there as well as on our various social medias. Yes, I encourage you all to check out the Instagram where we have stories that are uh, – We'll ask you all sorts of different polls, like how you like this movie, what movies you recommend. And also, we are working on developing new content. And so we'd love your feedback on some of that. And suggestions. And please also continue. Yes, suggestions. And please continue to let us know what you think of the movies that we recommend next. Also, please uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, do all those fun things uh, wherever you listen to our podcast. And so the last thing that we need to do before we bid you adieu is to figure out what our next movie is. So Kate, I have three options that I was thinking about posting to our Instagram to see what our club members want. So So these are ones that I've gotten at least two recommendations for so at least two different club members have recommended i have get out Mm -hmm. ready Mm -hmm. or not and then the dawn of the dead 2004 remake those are some really good suggestions i know so that's not to say that we won't do do i get to pick or are we gonna post them sure so what i'm gonna gonna do is i'll whenever we post this tomorrow so but by the time that you're listening to this i'll have a story up with a poll for you to vote for which one you'd like to listen to and which one you'd like us to cover yes you are allowed to vote which one well kate you have an instagram go vote (laughs) okay okay so i guess that's it uh we will be doing one of those three movies and we'll announce it on our social media i guess this week sure so we'll be posting this tomorrow which is our our new release date for episodes so every wednesday or every other wednesday we'll be posting our newest podcast episode so by thursday we will have a um, selection for our next movie and we'll We'll also post that on our story as well. Kate, do you have anything else to add before we conclude our meeting? Uh, No, I'm really excited to see what people vote on. Um, So I guess that's it. And that concludes this week's meeting. And we will see you next time for one of those movies. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys. Stay spooky. Bye. Hey, club members. Nope, that sounds stupid.